Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. Sports Radio FNZ, hour number two, Kyle Bailey, Evan Smoke, Ludwig with you. Coming up in 20 minutes, Mike Felder, college football analyst, former Tar Heel, now with Stadium. On Twitter, at In the Bleachers, he'll join us as he does each and every Thursday to talk a little college football. And on top of the obvious Big Ten, Pac-12, will they, won't they, and everything else, we'll get into you know some of the ACC schedule and we'll operate under the assumption they're going to play some college football this fall and get into a, uh, a preseason ranking of the ACC's projected standings by a couple of folks yesterday. Some made sense, some not so much. But look, I told you before the break, there's something that needs to be taken into consideration uh, when we look ahead to tonight's NBA draft lottery as Hornets fans specifically, because it is very, very fun. Well, it's easy, and I would say it also is fun uh, in a very twisted, kind of dark way to look back at the history of the Panthers' draft selections and to make jokes and to uh, make snarky comments and you know just be generally that way because, well, the organization gave you a lot of reason to be that way for years. I also don't think it's necessarily productive to continue to, despite how fun it may be, to look back and, you know, snarkily laugh and make jokes at all the mistakes that Rich Cho made. You know, in the previous iterations of the Hornets front office made, when it came to drafting Frank Kaminsky over Devin Booker or, you know, passing on Donovan Mitchell to take Malik Monk, who did flash and played very well uh, before his untimely suspension late in the season. Uh, this is a new era, and when you're actually looking at the, the body of work, albeit a smaller sample size, but still, I think, body of work for Mitch Kupchak to this point. Smoke, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. Mitch Kupchak has found uh, Devontae Graham and P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges and the Martin Twins, but specifically Cody Martin in the draft. And, and I think at, at some point in the not-too-distant future, just my hunch, I think we're going to be able to point at Jalen McDaniels and say that's another second-round success story for them because I really liked what I saw from him on the floor uh, toward the end of the season before the shutdown. So it's fun. We make the jokes. We, you know, we look back at all the draft whiffs and failures and misses and players they should have taken, and maybe Michael Porter Jr. and Bol Bol are the latest two added to that list. But under Mitch Kupchak's watch, I'd say it's – you know, pretty fair to say that he's done well for himself to this point in his tenure. Yeah, even with Miles Bridges, uh, you know, some people now really questioning that pick because of uh, Michael Porter Jr. and actually Shea Gilgis-Alexander as well. Yep. 
balling out. I, I still think Miles Bridges can be a very talented player. Agreed. And even if it doesn't work out the way we hope it will, it's still nowhere near as egregious as some of the ones here in the Rich Cho era. And then you mentioned the second-round picks. That's something that this organization has never really used throughout its history ever since they came back in 04. But Mitch Kupchak, in two years, has already gotten three quality players at the very least. Mm -hmm. Devontae Graham, you got Jalen McDaniels, who has the potential to be something, and you also got one of the Martin, Cody Martin, you know, and I guess you, I, I'll put Caleb Martin in there, even though he's undrafted, because he's also had an impact on this team. Well, that, right, that's the point, that they, they both improved dramatically, right, throughout the course of the season. What their ceiling is, how much more they'll develop, that, that remains to be seen. But I think at this point, it's okay to cautiously give Mitch Kupchak the benefit of the doubt. And also, we got to mention, hopefully sooner rather than later, hey, Arnold is going to come over here to the States. <laughs> at some point, somebody's going to answer one of my questions about Lithuanian hey, Arnold. Arnoldus Kabokas, who, you know, young, lengthy, uh, you know, long guy. We thought we, he might make an impact or at least make his arrival at some point in the last year and a half. But, you know, that was not the case. So we'll wait and see what happens with him. You know, but but that's that's something that I will take with me into tonight that I do. And I said this when they hired Mitch Kupchak. Cause I, I remember when they hired Mitch. I, I had a lot of NBA fans and, and Lakers fans specifically. I think the more, I don't know, let's call them disgruntled Lakers fans. You know, saying, well, you shouldn't give Mitch that much credit. You know, he's not that great at drafting. He, I mean, he didn't have much opportunity to draft in the lottery because, you know, the, the majority of the time that he was there, both, both working under Jerry West, and then once he assumed the full-time GM duties with the Lakers, I mean, that was the Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Pau Gasol era where they weren't drafting in the lottery. So, you know, he had to go find guys outside the uh, the top 14 picks, and he actually did. You know, find some contributors out there doing just that. So, you know, Mitch is not the most, I don't know, let's say uh, titillating guy to listen to in the media when you're hearing a press conference or an interview. He's a very straight shooter. I like talking to Mitch because, you know, even though he does keep things close to the vest, he speaks very plainly and tells you, and he means what he says when he is telling you something. So I, I like it. And I like the fact that I think I can trust his evaluation of players to continue building the uh, the Charlotte Hornets roster. So with that said, I'm looking forward to tonight and I, I can't wait to see where they land because I, you know, one out of four chance, just let's simple, let's, let's simplify it. A 26% chance to pick in the top four. That's a one in four chance to, to land a top four pick in the draft tonight. I'll, I'll take those odds, you know, one in four chance to land in the top four, not, not the, not ideal, but far from the worst. I'll take the odds top four, a one in four chance. If they do that, if they were to land in the top four, we talked about this yesterday. I understand the appeal of a kid like Anthony Edwards out of Georgia, but you know, as Rick Bunnell pointed out earlier this week, it does make you pause a bit to think, well, he's he's a fun prospect and could be very good, but it's not as if he totally elevated the Georgia Bulldogs basketball program to the previously unforeseen heights. It, that didn't happen, you know. So it's not always about college success. We know that, but it, it does make you stop and pause and wonder a little bit. And and Lamelo Ball, you know, the offensive ability is certainly intriguing. I think the baggage that comes with him, though, and the repeated evaluations from respected NBA and college basketball evaluators that he is a huge, huge question mark or red flag on the defensive end. You don't love that. I I, I don't love that because despite what you know the, uh, the the critics of the NBA will tell you that they don't play any defense in that league. It's not true. The good teams do. That's why the good teams win championships. They they played good defense in that league. Not all. 
you know, but the good teams in this league do play defense. And you've got to have somebody out there who wants to play because want to is 80 or 90 percent of succeeding on the defensive end. So, you know, LaMelo Ball, eh, I mean, maybe not for me, but I understand the appeal because he's 6'8", 200 pounds. He's long and you know he's got offensive ability. I, I love Denny Avia out of the Euro League from Israel. Love that kid. You know, I, I think this team obviously needs a rim runner. And on Yeko Gonkwu from USC, maybe James Wiseman at 7'1", 240, you know, with, with length, slides to the Hornets wherever they end up. Top four, or maybe eighth. I don't, I don't think he slides all the way to eighth, but I've seen some mock drafts that have him sliding to that general vicinity. You know, I don't know much about the Killian Hayes kid out of France. There's only so many YouTube videos I can watch on some of these international prospects to get a good feel for who and what they'll be. At the NBA level, it's just really difficult to know. You know, I, I can't sit up here and pretend to be an expert on all of these prospects because, again, all I can do is, okay, Killian Hayes, France. I'll go watch this kid. Where's he from? Okay, uh, let's watch some clips. Ah, pretty smooth jumper. He's long. He looks athletic. I get why. Yeah, I see the intrigue, but that's all you got because it's hard to evaluate these guys when they're not playing in, in big-time college basketball or certainly when you don't have NBA tape on them. But, again, I leave that stuff up to the professional evaluators. I just think there is some talent in every single NBA draft, despite the reputation the draft class gets of being shallow or you know devoid of domestic talent, which is certainly what's being said about this one, there are always players that you can help or that can help you build an NBA roster and 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 build it the right way, which certainly is what the Charlotte Hornets are looking to do, and do so in a manner I think very differently than what the Philadelphia 76ers have tried to do. And I've had a number of of Hornets fans and NBA fans both this morning and last night saying, KB, you got to promise me you're going to get into the 76ers tomorrow. You got to promise me that you're going to get on the 76ers tomorrow. Our buddy Tim, one of the loudest voices, asking me to do just that. And I have no issue, once again, bringing it up and saying, are we sure that the process was worth it? Because here we are, again, in the NBA playoffs, and the 76ers find themselves down two games to none, and on the verge of being swept out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. And it, and it looks like it's going to be just another disappointment in a season full of disappointments for the 76ers. It's just not working and hasn't been working. I mean, this is an expensive basketball team that came about from a very bold strategy that we know is the process you know, it was an aggressive front office. Brian Winhorst wrote all about this this morning over at ESPN. He called it an expensive team with an audacious strategy from an aggressive front office and a group of players who believed they were on the cusp of superstardom. Embiid, for example, declared at the start of the season that he planned to win the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Well, despite the bravado, they're now a sixth seed, down 0-2 in a first-round series against the Celtics, who are clearly the better, deeper, more talented team. And the 76ers are down 0-2 with a $150 million payroll on the books for next season. And everybody involved in that organization up there now knows they're probably going to be watching changes happen in the next couple of weeks and months. So was it really worth it? Was it really worth it to torture that fan base? For five years of tanking, chasing number one overall picks, whiffing on Markel Fultz, whiffing on Nerlens Noel, trading away Jimmy Butler, was it really worth it now that we're about to see this team get swept out of the first round of the NBA playoffs? They've won nothing of substance. I mean, I, I, if you took the temperature, and I, I don't have time to listen to sports radio in Philadelphia, but I, I want to tune in over the next couple of days, especially if they get swept in the first round, to hear what's being said up there, because I bet there are a lot of 76ers fans up there that have changed their tune 
about tanking. I have to believe that's the case. I really, really do. Uh, I mean, it's just... I, <laughs> I got Scott chiming in right now. You're, you're trying to tell me that building a team by losing creates a culture of losers? I'm shocked. Yeah, me too. You know, this, 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 it's another example. Yes, the NBA, the NFL are different. We all know it. I shouldn't keep having to say it, but I will. It's different. But it's still not produced the ultimate goal. Nowhere really even all that close to it. They've been talking about trading Ben Simmons. Right? He still is not the kind of shooter they hoped that he would develop into. Uh, Joel Embiid looks gassed in the fourth quarter most of the time. You know, the, the antics were endearing. But they haven't led to anything meaningful or fruitful. Was it worth it? I think it's a fair question. Because again, they look like they're about to get swept out of the first round of the NBA playoffs with an expensive roster. And you can keep blaming it on Brett Brown and the coaching and the rotations and everything else. This team just doesn't have it. They don't have it. They traded Jimmy Butler. They bring in Al Horford for a bunch of money. They're told that the team got better. And they look like they're anything but at this point. Smoke, what you got? Yeah, and it's just weird because it feels, you know, we heard the uproar when uh, Charlotte let go of Steve Clifford and Rich Cho. All right, got to tank now, got to tank, because that's when the whole tanking thing really became good for the 76ers. And now it's just like, eh, not really. <laughs> not a, it feels like they're about to have a decision of, like, who do we want to trade? Do we want to trade Simmons or do we want to trade Joel Embiid? Everyone's hmm. basically gone except for those two and Brett Brown and Brett Brown's got one foot out the door right now hmm it's weird because you know the defending champ toronto raptors just won the nba championship again with you know no no lottery picks leading the way and and they're still tearing it up despite Kawhi leonard's departure they built a team they got some four-year college guys big time contributors you know the uh the, the fred van vliet's of the world prior to his departure the danny greens of the world i mean that's that's what they have built messiah Ujiri up there built a a championship team without tanking for five years straight. And I think the Hornets, though they're still pretty much on the ground floor, have begun showing the building of a foundation of a team that could be back in the Eastern Conference playoffs in you know not too distant future, possibly as early as next year, <laughs> if you do this. So I, if you do it right, I should say. I know some people want to chime in on this. We'll get to that. But first, when we come back, we'll talk to Mike Felder. Stadium, college football analyst, former Tar Heel. He joins us next. We'll see if he thinks the college football season happens, the Big Ten messaging, and we'll talk a bit about some actual football if it actually is going to be played. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ. Listen anywhere, anytime. Download the radio.com app today. It's Wilson and Parcel. This is Sports Radio FNZ. And cruising on a Thursday here on Sports Radio FNZ. Kyle Bailey with you. Matt Darty, Coach Matt Darty, longtime Tar Heel ACC Network analyst. He's in studio coming up in about 42 minutes. We'll spend the lunch hour with Coach like we do every Thursday. A ton to get to with him, but before we get there, we chop it up with our buddy Michael Felder, college football analyst with Stadium on Twitter at In the Bleachers. He joins us every Thursday here on the uh, Technicom Hotline. Mike, it's good to have you back, buddy. How you been? I've been all right, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm, I'm going back and forth on a lot of this college football stuff because, Mike, you know me. I, I keep saying if it's not safe to play, don't play. But we've got so much conflicting information out there and, and people that we entrust to make the right decisions who don't agree on much of, of anything. As you survey the landscape right now and everything that's gone down in, in the past week, how would you sum it up? Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's 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 the answer, right? Like, it's, you've got the Big Ten, and they're in it. Like, I think the only people that have handled things relative handle things well are the Pac-12, and they're not playing, obviously. And then, obviously, we can get into the Ivy League, who made the call initially. But the Pac-12, at least, was, and this is the thing. This is an analogy that I've used, and I, I bet that my mother taught someone who's listening right now. But my mom is a math teacher by trade. It was always about showing your work. The Pac-12 showed their work, right? Mm-hmm. They had all, they had every step that they needed to get to. We're not going to have a season. They showed it out in front. Everyone else is kind of, well, we've got this, and maybe we've got that, and they're just trying to arrive at a conclusion without doing showing their work. And that's why the Big Ten is in trouble right now because they didn't show their work. They didn't show all the little things and the reasons why they made this decision, which is why now. Tomorrow, I believe, Sean Wade's dad will be in O'Hare and then going to Rosemont to the Big Ten offices on Saturday morning to protest with a group of other parents because they want their kids to play or because they don't, they want to have more clarification on was it a 12 to 2 vote or was it the 8 to 6 vote? What was the actual, like, what was this? Show us the work. And then on the other side of that, with the schools that are playing, obviously, listen, I went to UNC and UNC has got, they're going full remote right now, and NC State now has – they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, not just with campus, but off campus. And so how that's all going to work and if they're going to be able to contain what this pseudo-bubble or what they are trying to create of a bubble of being inside the conference of being at your respective universities. But, yeah, it's, it's rough. And I, I think we also have to recognize that unlike the NBA right now, Unlike even MLB, where the bubble is expanded because it's just the host cities and the players with their families, colleges, it's, it's college, and it's wild. Like, it is, it's, it's kids, and someone said that, and I was talking to somebody, or excuse me, I, was, we, I did a thing, I, the question that I asked was, would you let your kids play? And someone was like, well... My kids, 18 to 22, they're a young adult. They make their own decisions. And I was like, I don't think that that's how it works all the time, for real. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, but, okay, so I'm curious because, you know, you are a Carolina kid at heart still, but, like, you, you live in Chicago. You're in the heart of Big Ten country. I, I've been following the Jeff Snook reports out of Columbus and you know mm-hmm. this uh, this movement by a half dozen schools that want to play a 10-game season. Then last night it's, oh, we're going to start the season in January, which – I, there, there's so many questions when it comes to, to wanting to start. How much heat is Kevin Warren taking up there in Big Ten country right now? Because it seems like a lot. A ton. Well, you also know that his, his kid plays yeah. in, in Mississippi State. Right. So you're, but you're, it's not okay for your your guys to play, but you are sending your kid back. That, why, how, what? Doesn't yeah. make any sense. And... I think at the end of the day, he's under fire for not being transparent. He's under fire for, and I think that there was initially there. They were we were told that it was Nebraska and it was Iowa, the two schools that wanted to play, and then everyone else was on board with this. But then you think about Ohio State and Ohio State. I'm sure that they're looking up and down at what's going to happen. And here's the reality: if you're Ohio State, you've got a bunch of guys that are going to go to the NFL next year. They're not going to play in spring. They will not play, and Sean Wade will not play in spring. Justin Fields will not play in spring. Um, Wyatt Davis will not play in spring. These guys aren't going to play in spring. And so now you're realizing, 
oh, the thing that draws people in, we won't have that. And also, by the way, we might have a team that can win a national championship, and we're not going to have an opportunity. I think that a lot of folks are operating, they are operating, I think the schools that in the initial voting process or the initial decision-making process, I think they also were like, we'll shut down, they'll shut down, and then everyone will be shut down, and we'll all be on a level playing field. But this is something, and you know this, Kyle, about college football, where there is a paranoia that somebody will get a leg up on you mm-hmm. that exists consistently. And that's the way that they operate. And so when these other when the other three Power Five conferences did not cancel immediately, now Penn State, Ohio State are looking at this and thinking, oh no, they're going to get, they're going to be in front of us. They're going to get a leg up on us. They're going to be ahead of us. They're, things are, they're going to be better than us. And it's not just, hey, it's safe to play. It's also, if we don't play, what if they get better recruits? Or what if they get more money? Or what if, it's that what if is a big part of why things are happening because we all know in a spring season, again, people that are projected first rounders are not going to play in the spring. No, they're not. And Lane, you, you saw it yesterday, Lane Kiffin coming out and saying it, it's a shame these kids aren't being allowed to transfer. You got you got seniors and upperclassmen who are being told, hey, sorry, we're making the decision on, on behalf of your best interest. We realize that you're going to be well, and, and they're, by the way, extending eligibility. But somebody said yesterday, well, they can just come back the year after that. A lot of these guys don't want to be in college for six or seven years. They want to move on with their lives. And so right. I understand these are unforeseen, unexpected circumstances, you know, but they're making these decisions. What do you think about the Elaine Kiffin's comments? And, and is this ploy or this messaging about playing in the spring, as some would have you believe, you know, more about trying to keep players with their respective programs than actually playing in the spring? I don't, I, I just, I think I, I, the other part for me, and I, I guess this is the big thing, is it, it's the, the idea of keeping players, to me, that is a television thing, that's yeah. a coaching thing where you're able to do that. The thing that I think about when it comes to spring is the idea of these guys playing 20 games in a year that for free. That seems buck wild to me, honestly. I mean, it's, I, we, I, I already have my own personal issues with the idea that these guys are playing 15 or 16 games to get to a college football playoff to win a national championship. But I, to, to me, the buck stops at you're really going to ask these guys to play that many games because they're going to try to come back and start a regular season in 2021 on time. And that's the part for me, Kyle, that feels we've got to – Something's going to have to adjust because we can't. You can't do that. You can't. You can't ask guys to put twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three games on their bodies in twelve months. That's 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 too much. That's no recovery time. That's no break time. And I mean, you think about it from a student athlete standpoint. The reality of it is, is this: what do they get? They get a little bit of summertime, and that's it. It just it seems like a lot. Mike Felder with us on the Technicom guest line, college football analyst with Stadium. You can follow him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Mike, are, are there games on this schedule that exist right now that can get you fired up? Things you're looking forward to? Are you even in that mindset right now? Yeah, I um, listen. We I've got a college football preview show that I got to shoot, and we're going to do it, and we'll see how long the season lasts. But the reality is, is I'm I'm looking at the schedules. I'm going through things. I think uh, my one of my producers he asked me, well, you know, the opening week game that excites you the most. And I initially I told him North Carolina State, Virginia Tech. And because I love Zonovan Knight, I think he is incredibly special. I want to see what he can do against uh, 
um, against a guy like a Dak Collifield from Virginia Tech, but I also am very curious to see where these two coaches are because both of them have been in a little bit of hot water, and are they coming out firing at the hip, coming off of massive, you know, uncertainty and, and wild circumstances? Then my producer said, no, I meant the SEC. And I was like, well, could we have, what do we have, three different opening days now because of the different scheduling and the staggered scheduling? Because ACC goes on the 12th, SEC is on like the 26th or something. So in the SEC, I look at Ole Miss, and, and Ole Miss taking on, uh, I believe, Florida. And to me, that's the one that I kind of circled because I look at that and I think Lane Kiffin has got two guys that can both play D1 quarterback in Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley. And what does he do with both of them? And how does he make a decision on what to do when he didn't have a spring to really do a full eval of these players? And so what does that look like? And then do you shuffle them or do you keep them apart? Because you know that at some point one of them may contract coronavirus. So we want to keep this other guy over here as a backup just in case. And how do they take that? So I think that's going to be interesting. The other one for me that I'm, I'm super interested in things like um, Arkansas against Alabama. Sam Pittman's not really been a head coach, but Sam Pittman is going to have to. But Sam Pittman, he fits in, right? This is a guy that we've seen at North Carolina. We've seen him at, at, at Georgia. Obviously, we've seen him at Arkansas before. He fits into the culture of the SEC, but he's never really had the, the reins all to his. And the other on the other side of that with Mississippi State, Mike Leach, we know he's been a head coach. He's had some big success, but I don't think he fits in in the SEC at all. I'm pretty sure someone has confiscated his phone um, currently. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, last thing, <laughs> last thing, I'll let you go. I, I just happened to, I flipped my phone open. I was at Panthers practice this morning and didn't see anything, so I was on my phone playing around. And I see that uh, the, the transfer waiver for Keetro Clark from Liberty to Louisville has been approved, yet you still have kids like Cade Mays trying to transfer yep. to Tennessee, Raheem Blackshear trying to transfer to Virginia Tech, who have been denied for seemingly completely arbitrary reasons. What is the NCAA doing right now? Who knows? They don't know. They're bad at this. We shouldn't want them to take on more because they're already bad at the little part of the things that they do. They're bad at this. Unless it's putting on a tournament, they're not good at anything else. And yeah. so it's very frustrating, and I'm frustrated by it. Oh, and by the way, if you're out at Panthers practice at, at all, tell my tell my buddy, Kristen Balboni, I said, what's up? We used to work together at the stadium. She's aces, man. She's so great. Will do. Absolutely. They, they are. They're bad at everything. It's so hard, but it doesn't make any, like, it's horrible. You will, they were just discussing one-time transfer waivers, you know, not that long ago, and now they're mm-hmm. just arbitrarily telling a kid like Cade Mays, no, sorry, Raheem Blackshear, no, we, we're going to let these other guys transfer for seemingly, you know, no more important reason than what you're claiming, but you guys, you have to sit out an extra year. It makes, it doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense, and I think that we are really seeing the curtain be pulled back on how uh, inept, and I'll, I'm, I'm not afraid. I don't care. They don't pay my, they don't write my checks. How useless they are. They're completely, they're useless. They're really good at hammering a kid for getting a, uh, hammering a kid at a small school for getting a free meal or some free shoes and, or a free phone call or cell phone bill paid. And they're really bad at deciding and looking out for the athletic futures and the academic futures of the players that are, trying to make things better or easier for themselves. They're bad at that, and they're, they, they're not even good at the, other, the enforcement part of it. It's, it's so, if you don't have resources, we can take you down. If you do have resources, we kind of have to stand back and hope you give us the information. Otherwise, there's nothing that we can really do. 
Mike, you're the man, buddy. Appreciate you. Be well, and uh, here's hope. Here's hoping you can keep your sanity. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. You guys take it easy. There you go. Michael Felder with us on the Technicom Hotline, former Tar Heel college football analyst with Stadium. Follow him on Twitter, at In the Bleachers. Plenty more to get to. Plenty more to get to. I didn't see any of Panthers practice this morning, but I do want to talk some Panthers. And we'll take uh, a couple of phone calls. I think some people still want to chime in on the Hornets draft lottery and maybe even the, uh, the, the tanking attempt by the Philadelphia 76ers, which looks, once again, to come up short. Like I said, lots to get to. When we come back, we'll tell you who balled out and a guy who balled out last night in a really, really big way. It shouldn't be a surprise how well he's playing, but to some people it is. We'll talk about it next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ. No one has more opinions. No one has more insight into the business. That's why you'll get it all here first. And if you miss it, download the Radio.com app. You can rewind up to 24 hours of the show, so you'll never miss a word. It's Wilson and Parcell. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Kane is in the building. Curry, <laughs> way downtown. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Newton running. Newton gets to the corner. Cam down the sideline. Cam Newton has a taste it. Still on his feet. Cam Newton. Touchdown, Carolina. What a play. In your life have you seen anything like that? Let's see who balled out last night. Smokes up first. What you got? You know, it wasn't all bad for the Cincinnati Reds last night. In the second game of a doubleheader after they lost the first one, they have this pitcher named Trevor Bauer. In the seven-inning doubleheader game, he had a complete <laughs> shutout. Seven innings, only gave up one hit, three walks, nine strikeouts, and now he has a .68 ERA. Completely filthy stuff. He and Max Freed are probably going to be the favorites to win the Cy Young Award in the NL. Hey, I'm right there with you. By the way, Trevor Bauer last night said he planned to wear cleats in his start that said free Joe Kelly, uh, the Dodgers reliever that was suspended eight games for throwing at the Astros about two weeks ago. Uh, the cleats said free Joe Kelly. He posted a picture. If you want to see these, it's on my Twitter account, at Kyle Bailey Club. But Trevor Bauer said he was set to wear these cleats, but Major League Baseball told him he would be removed from the game and disciplined, fined heavily, and possibly suspended if he did wear them so uh he didn't but he really wanted to and, and also this was the first start that he's had in kansas city since the incident where he threw the ball out the center field and did you see what he did he ripped off his uniform after the game last night to reveal a t-shirt underneath his uniform commemorating the time that he chucked the ball over the center field wall after being removed from the game trevor bauer's good for baseball and i don't i don't care what anybody thinks about it that guy's good for baseball for me it's very simple uh it's a guy who just went off last night for the second consecutive time in these nba playoffs jason tatum scored 33 points last night and the boston celtics beat the philadelphia 76ers 128-101 to take a 2-0 series lead in the eastern conference playoff series tatum had a career high playoff high for the second consecutive game after scoring 32 points in the opener on monday and that is who balled out 
Now, in that game last night, also Kemba Walker adding 22 points, Jalen Brown scoring 20, and again, the Celtics taking a 2-0 series lead. We were talking about that earlier. Like The, the 76ers are on the cusp of being swept out of the NBA playoffs first round. You know, do we re- At what point are we allowed to revisit you know, the, the quote-unquote process you know, and, and what they did? And, and torturing that fan base, trying to compile draft picks, only to be a you know, mostly marginal playoff team and, and a very expensive roster and barreling toward a ton of changes up there in Philadelphia. Smoke, real quick. I think it has to be whenever they let go of either Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid in a trade because that's who the foundation was. That's the two draft picks that they got that have really stood out. And now they're on the verge of splitting one of them up from the organization as well as their head coach who's been there since Sam Hinkie took the job. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's a worthwhile conversation. But we got there, too, talking about the Hornets draft lottery. The odds tonight, the Hornets have a 6% chance to land the first overall pick. So, you know, not a great, not great odds. But they have a 6% chance to land the first overall pick. They have a 26% chance to pick in the top four, right? First, second, third, fourth. The 20, one in four chances to pick in the top four of the draft. You'd like better odds, but they could be far worse. There's a 73% chance, though, they pick 8th, ninth, or 10th in this year's NBA draft, which is coming up in October, but the, the ping-pong balls will fly tonight, and we'll find out this evening exactly where the Hornets will pick in the draft. And we got some listeners that want to chime in on this, so we'll go to David on the Asa Abloy phone lines. David, what's up, buddy? How are you? Hey, man, I'm doing well, doing well. Um, so I wanted to talk about this whole tanking thing with you because – uh, I love where your head's at with it. I think you are smart and Thank you. intelligent when it comes to the subject because tanking in sports is uh, likened to, like you said, it's a virus. It's it's awful and it's really kind of silly. Um, the I would I would counter you with one little point though. The Seventy Sixers blew up the process when they fired Sam Hinky, and ever since then they have been making very questionable decisions, which I think has led them to this point. I'm not saying it would have worked out in the first place, but I think better evidence that taking is dumb is to look around the NBA, all the best players, uh, ex- except for maybe LeBron and Anthony Davis, I guess, all of them were taken outside of the top two picks. And, I mean, Luka at five right now looks like possibly the steal of this century, potentially. I mean, I know that's a little dramatic, but you know, if you just look at Steph and, and Clay and Devin Booker and all these dudes, they were picked later. Yeah, no, I appreciate the phone call, dude. And look, I appreciate the compliment. I There are lots of ways to go about having that conversation. Without qu- there, there are lots of ways to go about having it. And, and 76ers fans are pro-tanking people to say, well, at least they've been in the playoffs. Well, there are far there are there are different ways to get to the NBA playoffs without doing what Philadelphia did. And 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 Smoke brought up Sam Hinkie a couple of minutes ago. Yes, we, we can we can dive into that. You can try to carve out or sculpt your case however you want to. But the, the the entire point of doing what they did was to win an NBA championship, and it appears they are no closer now than they have been at at really any point. I, people will say, yeah, well, they were you know the Eastern Conference Finals, a game away, a couple shots away, fine. But it, but it hasn't resulted in that. And, and they're no closer to winning an NBA championship held than they were the last time when Allen Iverson had them relevant. So it is certainly a worthwhile conversation, and you made some good points. Smoke. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, when you give up that much time and waste that many seasons to try to get to the NBA Finals, you have to get to the NBA Finals if you're Philly. That's the only way it's going to work and, if you're, and, and at least win one. You haven't even made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone the NBA Finals. So, yeah, no matter if Sam Hinkie stayed there, which I don't think it would have worked if Sam Hinkie stayed there either way, 
and you had some of the stuff that's happened over the past couple of years. I, look, it, it, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked yet. It got you in a better spot than what you were in before that because your best player was Drew Holiday and you were barely making the playoffs. But at the same time, it was just you kind of moved up maybe a step or two, but that's about it. <laughs> By the way, speaking of the NBA draft, uh, Jonathan Wasserman with, with some interesting news and notes uh, over at Bleacher Report. He's one of the you know, one of the, the leading NBA draft insiders about, well, I was going to say this time of year, but it's not typically this time of year. It's just when we're getting the NBA draft this time. And, and he's writing that the NBA draft, the top of it, may not go quite as expected because as he writes, the general belief uh, had LaMelo Ball Anthony Edwards out of Georgia and James Wiseman as the top three overall favorites with Obi Toppin, Denny Avia, Onyeko Gonkwu, and Isaac Okoro mixed into a tier that either slightly overlaps those top three or directly follows them. But based on some scouts that he's spoken to, he says he's heard over the past couple of weeks, uh, mock drafts could start looking a little bit silly toward the top, saying that he's heard that Denny Avia is now being looked at as ranked higher than LaMelo Ball. To me, that's not shocking, but uh, it was surprising to me in the last couple of months that he wasn't you know, rated a bit higher than LaMelo Ball. He also says that James Wiseman graded as a late lottery pick, uh, Jalen Smith over Ogonkwu, Okoro being compared to Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, who, wait, wait, can we talk about Michael Kidd-Gilchrist knocking down playoff threes, Smoke? I mean, of all the bizarre things, we're watching Steve Clifford beat the Bucks. Kimball Walker's winning playoff games. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist was knocking down threes in a playoff game. It's like we've all taken crazy pills. Yeah, and to make it even worse, I bet Kimball's looking at some of these box scores. He's like, oh, now you decide to help out a uh, <laughs> star point guard. Now you decide to do it. Okay, I see how it is. Right. So, I mean, man, look, MKG, he's not the worst player on the earth, but the no. fact that he was the second player, and after that 7-59 and season, what I was talking about with the 76ers, if you're going to tank, you better make make sure it works. And the best that the Bobcats got out of that was Michael Cade Gilchrist. It's It just didn't end well. Now, it's good to see like guys like Steve Clifford and Kemba having success elsewhere because those were, were good uh, good coaching. Is, is it nice, though? You, I, I think you could be personally happy for those yes. guys. I, I, I think that's what you mean. Because I, I won't go so far as to say it's nice to see that because in a lot of ways it's tormenting you know, to Hornets fans. I, I, I do see what you're saying, though. You can root for some of those guys personally because, you know, I can say having been around Kemba, having been around Steve Clifford for a little while, I was always struck by how they treated people, you know, how, what nice guys they were. I think that's true. MKG, I've, I've been around him in the locker room. I've been around him in practices. He, he doesn't say a lot, you know, so I, I, I don't really have much of a personal opinion about MKG because I never got to know him like that. But I can say it about Kemba and about Steve Clifford on a personal level. I can be happy for those guys I, as a, you know, as a fan or as the host of the Hornets pregame show, somebody who just roots for the Hornets the way that I do. It, it is a little bit maddening to see it because you, you want to see that kind of success come back to Charlotte and professional basketball here. But I get your point. I do want to get back to the, the, the NBA draft stuff from Jonathan Wasserman really quickly, because he's also saying that, you know, a kid like Patrick Williams, for instance, is being mentioned as a sleeper uh, to be one of the draft's top prospects and that the international scouts with Killian Hayes in the top five, uh, but but some here domestically college scouts just don't see it with him. Right. The opinions are all over the place. And so this year's draft has all the ingredients for draft results that don't necessarily align with the narratives that you know have been either projected or just believed by the media and fans throughout the season and the last several months. The last draft with this much uncertainty and all these different opinions, you got to go back to 2013 when Anthony Bennett. See, I, I didn't want it's it's 
I tried to stay away from the Anthony Bennett, Anthony Edwards comparisons, especially after yesterday. It, it, it seems a little too easy, but I did think about it a lot. And, and Wasserman saying this really kind of underscores this for me, saying when Anthony Bennett in 2013 went first and Giannis Antetokounmpo went 15th, right, who goes where in 2020 will come down to the order and the eye of the beholder and more specifically the eye of the general manager at each pick. And each GM's eyes, Jonathan Wasserman writes, could end up seeing something very, very different come October. So that, that is the, the frustration in trying to project who is going to be picked where. I just clicked on Gary Parrish's NBA mock draft. He has LaMelo Ball going first overall to the Golden State Warriors. He does. But so And, and Gary Parrish, who's covered college basketball at, at a high level for a long time, has a great eye for talent. He's very well connected. At not to, And beyond college basketball, the NBA draft circles too. He's got LaMelo Ball going first overall. But here's Jonathan Wasserman, somebody else who's extremely respected in the business, saying, well, and what I'm hearing is that uh, people overwhelmingly are seeing Denny Avia as a better prospect than LaMelo Ball. This is going to be the first draft in a while to the overall point here where you just really don't know who's going to be the first overall pick. I mean, we knew the draft order pretty much top three the last – well, we knew it two years ago. We largely knew it last year. But three, like two years ago especially, we knew Zion Williamson, or last year rather, Zion Williamson was going to be the first overall pick. We knew John, John Morant was going to go second you know, to the Memphis Grizzlies. I, I don't know who's going to be the first overall pick in October. I don't have a clue. Yeah, and I think the pandemic also has played a big factor in this as well because luckily for the Hornets, from what we've heard, Mitch Kubchak has been scouting uh, relentlessly uh, during the winter over in you know, outside of the country. So that could possibly give the Hornets a leg up on everyone else. But at the same time, going into this year, you know, Anthony Edwards was one of the highest touted prospects. So LaMelo Ball was one of the, you look at the American prospects, LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards had an underwhelming year and people are not watching LaMelo Ball play in a league outside of America. So there's not that many homegrown talents. And then what do you do when you hear a foreign prospect that's a top five, top ten talent? You go to YouTube. You go to YouTube, watch these quick <laughs> highlight films. That's it. That's about all you can do. And then you're like, wow, they're playing at small gymnasiums. Yeah, and the problem with that, too, is I go to YouTube and I want to watch a video of Denny Avia. And then once that video ends, I, I wind up going down a rabbit hole of UFO videos. And then I forget what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm, I'm being honest. I've kind of gotten into UFOs lately. Because now the government's telling us that UFOs are real for the first time. And so now I'm fascinated. But no, like I go look at Killian Hayes and Denny Avia and all these guys. I'm like, I, I've never seen him play until now. And oh, there's a cool YouTube video. Oh, there's a, there's a cute dog. Let's watch that one. That's, that, that's being a, a YouTube Twitter scout in the NBA draft this year. Nobody has a clue who's going first. Could be Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, Denny Avia, any number of guys. Hell, Obi Toppin could go first overall. It is all over the map. I've not seen this this lack of consensus in years. Hey, maybe it works out to the Hornets' favor because, again, I, I trust Mitch Kupchak to do some serious evaluating. And I think uh, Coach Matt Darty does, too. He, he knows Mitch pretty well. Coach Matt Darty joins us in studio next for the lunch hour, and we're looking forward to it. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.